Life Audio. Thank you for joining us for Sound Reasoning with Christian apologist and minister Perseus Poku of Sound Reasoning Ministries. It's our prayer that today's program will educate, train, and empower you to defend your Christian faith with confidence. Perseus has his bachelor's in history and a master's degree in apologetics. We hope you enjoy this time of equipping so that you can answer questions to defend your Christian faith effectively. Now here's Perseus Poku on Sound Reasoning. Welcome to Sound Reasoning. I'm your host, Persis Poku. On today's episode, we want to answer the question, what is the doctrine of the Trinity? What is the doctrine of the Trinity? And after a word from our sponsors, we'll get started on the topic today. Hello, folks. My name is Derek Greer, and I'm reaching out to fellow pastors and church leaders just like you to join me and other Christian leaders and organizations throughout the nation as we come together on June 8th and 9th for National Unity Weekend. Together, we will show the love of Jesus as we serve our communities on Saturday, June 8th, and then preach from a shared text on Sunday, June 9th. To register, go to unityweekend.com. That's unityweekend.com to join us as we unite the church and unite the nation. What impacts you every day? There is one book that influences almost every aspect of our lives. Museum of the Bible reveals the Bible's impact on your favorite musicians and artists, the way we measure time, social justice, our national monuments, and more. The Bible's impact is all around you. Discover how at museumofthebible.org impact. Unfortunately, skeptics over the years have attacked this doctrine. Uh, Many of the attacks are illegitimate uh, as it refers to the origin of this doctrine and um, the etymology of the term Trinity. So in terms of origin, um, the doctrine is in the scriptures. The doctrine is in the Bible. It is not fabricated. It's not... um, due to eisegesis. It's not due to someone putting into the Bible what's not there. It's rather based on exegesis, the ability to pull out of the scriptures what the Bible already teaches is what make this truthful and um, doctrinal and sound. So when we talk about the Trinity, do not allow skeptics to trip you up nor have you think that this doctrine is not in the scriptures. It is in the word of God. One of the common um, objections that we have as Christians in regards to the Trinity is some will say, well, the term Trinity is not in the Bible, which is true. You won't find the term Trinity in the Bible because that term was coined by Uh, the early apologist Tertullian of North Africa, Tertullian, uh, who wrote and spoke Latin, he used the term Trinitas. That's where we get our English version of the word Trinity. Now, remember, he did not create the doctrine. He just put a label on it so we would know what we were talking about. Just like the word Bible is not in a Bible, 
when we use the term Bible, we know it's from uh, the word biblios, uh, which means book. And we know what we're referring to. So when we use the term Bible, we know what it's referencing. Um, and you won't find that word in the scriptures. In the 66 books, you won't find it in there, but you know what it's referencing. In the same way, the word Trinitas or the word Trinity basically is labeling what's already in the scriptures. So again, it simply signifies that within the unity of the one God, there are three persons, God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit, who are all three co-equal as well as co-eternal. Each, however, is distinct and has a unique role within the Godhead. Some um, other religions accuse Christianity of being polytheistic, which means belief in many gods or the proposal that Christians believe in more than one God. And we're not saying that. We believe, again, if you're listening to me, we as Christians, we believe in one God, one God, one God, one God who has revealed himself in three persons. And we must readily admit that this is a mystery. It is a mystery. It falls under the category of a mystery. And the definition of a mystery is knowledge that belongs to God alone. That's the definition of a mystery. It is knowledge that belongs to God alone. So we can't explain how God the Father is God, how God the Son is God, how God the Holy Spirit is God, and we don't have three but yet one God. That is the mystery of the Godhead. But it's okay. It's not up to us humans to try to unscramble mysteries. Mysteries belong to God alone. And if you try to understand mysteries or attempt to unravel mysteries, all, you, all you're going to do is confuse yourself. There are plenty more information that we can unpack in the Bible, and the Trinity is not one of them. We can only teach what the Bible gives us to teach. We can't add to it. We can't take away so remember that it is categorized as a, myst- a, a mystery by persons. When we use the term God in three persons, we mean uh, um, that each of the Godhead displays certain attributes that are similar to that of personhood. So, for example, God can be grieved. Jesus can be grieved. The Holy Spirit can be grieved. God gives instructions. Jesus gives instructions. Holy Spirit gives instructions. God can be angered. Jesus experienced anger, and the Holy Spirit can be angered. God displays love. Jesus displays love. Holy Spirit displays love. The three in oneness of God is a mystery. No analogy or diagram can completely capture this unique essence of God's nature. However, We can articulate what the Bible teaches us and leave the mysteries up to God because his ways are definitely not our ways. So scripture teaches there's one God. There's one God, not three. God is a jealous God, and he does not share his glory with anyone else. Again, this is an inference that God is one. You read Exodus 20 and 5. 
Exodus 34 and 14, Nahum 1 and 2, Isaiah 44 and 8, 1 Timothy 2 and 5, Ephesians 4, 5 through 6. Each of these scriptures buttress the point that God is one. There's no other God. God is one. Not multiple gods, but there's one God. Then there's plurality within the Godhead. We see this. We see this in scripture where there's plurality in the Godhead. When we read Genesis 1.26, it says, uh, let us make man in our image. Let us make man in our image. And that plural form is Elohim. And it, it, it basically uh, means plurality. It's plurality within the Godhead. So when we talk about the Trinity, don't let other people dissuade you or have you think that it is man-made or someone um, transgressed and committed eisegesis. No, this is exegesis. We're pulling out of the scriptures what the Bible already shows us and tell us about God and his ontology. So remember that, that the Bible uh, presents God as Elohim, uh, plurality, not singularity. So when we look at uh, another verse, Genesis uh, 3.22, it says, the man has now become like one of us, one of us. It didn't say the man, uh, man has now become like me. It says, the man has now become like one of us. Uh, he must not be allowed to reach out his hand and take also from the tree of life and eat and live forever. So again, we see a plurality within the, God, uh, within the Godhead. Man has become like one of us. So this is not fabricated doctrine. I can't repeat this enough. It is not a fabricated doctrine. We are only articulating what's already in the scripture. And then Isaiah 6 and 8, when we talk about plurality of the Godhead, it says, also, I heard the voice of the Lord saying, who shall I send and who will go for us? Again, plurality of the Godhead, plurality of the Godhead. It is not um, a fabricated doctrine, as I said before. It is not fabricated, but yet is being revealed to us as we read the scriptures. We run into these these scriptures, and and it's for us to digest it, and for us to ruminate on it, and to think about what God has already given us. It's not fabricated, but yet revealed, and we must accept that if we are interested in the truth of the gospel. Let us take a break to recognize our sponsors, and we'll be right back. Hello, folks. My name is Derek Greer, and I'm reaching out to fellow pastors and church leaders just like you to join me and other Christian leaders and organizations throughout the nation as we come together on June 8th and 9th for National Unity Weekend. Together, we will show the love of Jesus as we serve our communities on Saturday, June 8th, and then preach from a shared text on Sunday, June 9th. To register, go to unityweekend.com. That's unityweekend.com to join us as we unite the church and unite the nation. What impacts you every day? There is one book that influences almost every aspect of our lives. Museum of the Bible reveals the Bible's impact on your favorite musicians and artists, the way we measure time, 
social justice, our national monuments, and more. The Bible's impact is all around you. Discover how at museumofthebible.org slash impact. So as we keep on talking about the plurality of the Godhead, we should also consider Luke chapter 3, verses 21 through 22, where it says, when all the people were being baptized, Jesus was baptized too. And as he was praying, heaven was opened up and the Holy Spirit descended on him in bodily form like a dove. And a voice came from heaven. You are my son whom I, I, whom I love with you. I am well pleased. That's another demonstration of the Trinity. So we just went over the scriptures that teach us that there's one God, but yet a plurality of the Godhead. The next thing I want to assert is that God has revealed himself as three persons. God has revealed himself as three persons. And again, uh, by personhood, it is an anthropomorphic term, but we must accept what God has given us. And, and, and if you try to unscramble it, if it's a mystery, you'll find yourself flustered and frustrated. We must just accept what God has given us. Genesis 1 and 1, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. God the Father, right? Uh, uh, God the Father is called God. So we know that God the Father exists. Uh, and, and that's the first topic of the Trinity is God the Father. God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. So we are very familiar with God the Father as it relates to the Trinity. And when we read the scriptures, remember, uh, God is revealing a bit of, of himself to humanity. And whatever we don't know is consistent with what we do know. So remember that. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord God is one. So again, there's one God. Deuteronomy 6 and 4, there is one God, not multiple gods, but one God. So do not listen to these skeptics when they lie on Christians and saying we believe in multiple gods because we believe in the doctrine of the Trinity. The next thing is he has divine attributes. That's right. God the Father has divine attributes. He is omniscient, as 1 Kings chapter 8, verse 39 talks about. He's omniscient. He, know, he knows all. He's all-knowing. Jeremiah 17, verses 9 through 10. He is omniscient. He is all-knowing. Then our God is omnipotent. He is omnipotent. He, he, he is all-powerful. God the Father is all-powerful. Isaiah 40, verses 10 through 31. Isaiah 45, verses 5 through 13. He is omnipotent. These verses, again, support the fact that God the Father is not only omniscient, he's omnipotent. Then, God the Father, he is a forgiver of sins. Exodus 34, 6 through 7. Exodus 34, 6 through 7. Nehemiah chapter 9, verse 17. Nehemiah chapter 9, verse 17. Daniel 9 and 9, Jonah 4 and 2. He's forgiver of sin. 
And if you don't get these verses right away, you may be driving, you may be uh, at an inconvenient place to uh, type it or write it in your notes. Uh, you can always go back to srministries.org and go to the radio show and listen to it as many times as you want. Uh, rewind it, fast forward to take down the notes. So God, the Father, is forgiver of sin. Then he's also creator. God, the Father, is the creator. And as creator, uh, we find evidence in Genesis 1-1, Job 33 and 4, Psalms 95, verses 5 through 6, Psalm 102, 25 through 26, Isaiah 40 and 28. Again, as creator, we find verses that support his ability to create. Genesis 1, 1, Job 33 and 4, Psalms 95, verses 5 through 6. Psalm 102, 25 through 26, Isaiah 40, verse 28, God as the creator. Then God the Father is Savior, Isaiah 43 and 3, Isaiah 43 and 11, Isaiah 63 and 8, Luke 147. God the Father is our Savior. Then God the Father is also Yahweh, Exodus 3 and 14, Deuteronomy 32 and 39, Isaiah 43 and 10, Alpha and Omega, first and last. God the Father is, 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 is um, revealed as Alpha and Omega, first and last. Isaiah 41 and 4, Isaiah 48 and 12, Revelations 1 and 8. So this is God. This is the characteristics of God, uh, some of the characteristics of God the Father. Then let's look at God the Son. He is also called God. Isaiah 7 and 14, 9 and 6, Isaiah 9 and 6, Isaiah 7 and 14, and then Isaiah 9 and 6. Then John 1 and 1, in the beginning was the word. The word was with God, and the word was God. John 20 and 28, Titus 2 and 13, Hebrews 1 and 8, 2 Peter 1 and 1. Jesus is called God. And some would argue, well, Jesus uh, didn't come straight out and say that, look, I'm God. He, if you read the scriptures, Jesus did not deny his divinity. Many times, uh, because he made himself to be equal with God, according to John 8.58, he said, before Abraham was, I am. That divine title of I am was reserved for God. And the Jews wanted to stone him because he took on the divine title for himself. So Jesus always inferred his divinity. Uh, he didn't come straight out and verbalize it, but he showed it by his actions. He, 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 he talked about uh, his divinity. And people just wasn't ready to accept it because they thought he was just a man. So as a result, numerous times in the Gospels, they took up stones to try to kill him. And even some of the uh, commentaries in the gospel says that they wanted to kill him because they understood or they received what Jesus was saying as him being God. That's why they took up stones to try to kill him. So Jesus, again, 
He's called God, Isaiah 7, 14, Isaiah 9 and 6, John 1 and 1, John 20 and 28, Titus 2 and 13, Hebrews 1 and 8, 2 Peter 1 and 1. Then the next thing is Jesus has the attributes of God. He has the attributes of God. He is omniscient, just like God the Father. He's omniscient. He's all-knowing. Matthew 11 and 27. Luke 5, 4 through 6. John 2 and 25. John 16 and 30. John 21 and 17. Jesus is all-knowing. He's omniscient. Then Jesus is omnipotent. Matthew 28 and 18. Mark 1, 29 through 34. John 10 and 18. Jude 24. Then Jesus, just like God the Father, he's forgiver of sin. He forgives sins. Mark 2 and 1, uh, or Mark chapter 2, rather, verses 1 through 12. Mark chapter 2, verses 1 through 12. Acts 26 and 18. Colossians 2 and 13. Colossians 3 and 13. He is forgiver of sin. Then he's creator, just like God the Father. John chapter 1, verses 2 through 3. And John chapter 1, verse 10. Colossians 1, 15 through 18. Hebrews 1, 1 through 3. Hebrews 1, verse 10. He is a creator. He is God the Son, the creator. Then Jesus is Savior, just like God the Father. Matthew 1, 21. Luke 2 and 11. John 1, verse 29. John 4. Verse 42, Titus 2 and 13, Hebrews 5 and 9. Then he's also Yahweh, the I am. John 8, 24, John 8, 58, John 18, 4 through 6. He is also Alpha and Omega, just like the Father. First and last, Revelation 1, 1 17 through 18, Revelations 2, 8, Revelation 22, verses 12 through 16. Uh, then we must look at the Holy Spirit. He's also God. The Spirit, he is not an it. Please, please refrain from calling the Holy Spirit an it. When you use the pronoun it, you're referencing an inanimate object. You're referencing uh, uh, someone with no animated being. The Holy Spirit is not an it. The best usage to describe him, or the best pronoun, is he, not in it. So he is called God. Holy Spirit is called God, just like God the Father, just like God the Son, the Holy Spirit, he is called God. Acts 5, verses 3 through 4. Then he has the attributes of God. The Holy Spirit has the attributes of God. He gives direction for life. Acts 8, verse 29. He serves as a mediator or intercessor for us, Romans 8, verse 26 through 27. He cannot lie, John 14 through 17. Again, these are attributes of God. He doesn't, uh, he gives direction for life. He serves as a mediator uh, between God and humanity, uh, Romans 8, 26 through 27. He cannot lie, John 14 through 17. And that means a lot because it means he, has, he doesn't even have the potential 
to bear false witness or to uh, not tell the truth like human beings. So we know that describes God, and that is the attribute of the Holy Spirit. Common misconceptions and fallacies about the Trinity. Uh, those who don't fully understand the Trinitarian definition often assume the following, that we believe in three gods as Christians. False. That the Son, Jesus, was created by the Father, and as a result, he is not equal. False. The Holy Spirit is not God, but some form of active force. False. Jesus is, is the Father as well as the Holy Spirit, which is also false. The word, again, the word Trinity won't be found in the Bible, but the doctrine is biblical. It is biblical. Uh, the Trinity is not a legal, a logical contradiction. It is not a logical contradiction. Uh, we're not saying God is one, God and three gods at the same time. We're not saying that. We're not saying God is one God and three gods at the same time. That would be a logical contradiction, but we're not saying that. We're not saying God is one personage and three personages at the same time. We're not saying that. We are saying, however, that God is one God who is, who is three distinct persons at the same time. So, in other words, we're saying God is one what, which is essence or nature, and three who's, which describe the persons or personhood. So, I pray that this episode has blessed you and edified you as it relates to the doctrine of the Trinity. Uh, if you have uh, any questions, please contact us at info at srministries.org, info at srministries.org. We are thankful to God for you, for your prayers, as well as your financial support. Uh, remember, we are funded through listeners like yourself, and we need your support. So if you go to srministries.org, www.srministries.org, uh, you can donate there, or if you want to send a check through the mail, Make it out to Sound Reason Ministries, P.O. Box 582-306, Elk Grove, California, 95758. Again, you can make it out to Sound Reason Ministries, P.O. Box 582-306, Elk Grove, California, 95758. And we are grateful and thankful for those who have already given, and we are looking forward to your support as well. Remember to continue to do for the truth what so many people do for a lie. God bless. Thanks for listening to Sound Reasoning with apologist and minister Perseus Poku from Sound Reasoning Ministries. It's our prayer that today's lesson has equipped you to share and defend your Christian faith with boldness. Sound Reasoning Ministries offers training in apologetics, biblical studies, and systematic theology. Join in on discussions on Facebook at Sound Reasoning Ministries. For more information about the ministry, to send an email, ask a question, or support the ministry, visit online at srministries.org. That's srministries.org. Listen again next week at this same time. And remember, Titus 1.9 says, Hold firm to the trustworthy messages has been taught so that you can encourage others by sound doctrine and refute those who oppose it. Sound re- Dear Heavenly Father, Thank you for working everything out for my good. Help me trust in your perfect plan. Amen. Father, thank you for loving and caring for me. With Christian prayer meditation, you can pray along to prayers based on specific topics. 
Go to lifeaudio.com or search your favorite podcast app for Christian Prayer Meditation. You can also download the Abide app for biblical meditations at abide.com.